Well, good morning. morning. On this beautiful winter day in April, (laughs) somebody needs to send a strongly worded email to Phil in Pennsylvania and says, don't ever see your shadow again or whatever he missed. So, man, what a great opportunity to worship this morning. Amen. Y'all give it up for our worship team. That always lead us so well. Aaron and I were joking last night that he might give me 10 minutes to preach, and when he started going into an extra song, I thought he was serious, Um, but he could have done it too. It would have been fine, but man, that last little song that wasn't on the sheet, coming back to the heart of worship, sometimes it's just we need to worship the Lord, amen? Can we worship the Lord together about last week just for for a moment? Easter Sunday was incredible. Y'all go ahead and give it up. It was incredible. So just so you guys know, we had between both campuses almost nine, actually over 900 people in attendance on Easter Sunday. Between our, uh, we had a volunteer service and our main service with our children. We had 504 people here on Easter Sunday. Our Mount Julia campus had just over 400 there. We, but the best number about that is the number five. And you say, well, that's a small number in comparison to the 900. Well, five people responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And while we celebrate the 900, we worship the five because we know that Jesus did incredible things. And it's not about what those people did. It's about how awesome the gospel is. And so we praise the Lord for that. And beyond that five, we know of others that rededicated themselves. And we know that some that made commitments to live their life better for the Lord. And we're going to follow up with each and every one of those. But how incredible it is that five people crossed the line and gave their hearts to Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday. Of all days, it's incredible. Three people, we got baptized here last Sunday. That was a fun day. And it was just an amazing day all around. Just an incredible time. This series, like Justin's saying, it's kind of like chapter two of this series, This Is Us. This is not where we talk about the guy dying because of the crock pot, okay? So no tears are going to be shed today. As you can tell, I don't watch the show. But we are going to, <clears throat> but we're going to dive into something that really is a conversation that started about six months ago, and that is the core values of our church. When we think about This Is Us, we want you to know who we are. And it's one thing for us to share with you about Jesus, and that's the most important thing that we can share. But we want you to see in us how Jesus is leading us. And what is the core value of us as a church? What is the core value of us as a, as a, as a congregation, as a ministry, as individuals of Jesus Christ? And so about six months ago at a lake house in Mount Juliet, the elders got together with Daniel M., and that's what we did for about four hours. And I have to tell you, that was not the most powerful four hours of my life. And you're like, well, that's a little weird. But as many of the elders can tell you, man, we really wrestled with scripture. We wrestled with each other because we were like, man, this is our value. And this is our value. And this is our value. And we just had to come together and say, no, collectively at church, these are the core values of our church. This conversation was not done in four hours. It literally took us probably four to five months to finish those. I'm looking at Andy because I know he's going to shake his head here in just a minute. And Carlos, we remember those conversations well. And the beautiful thing about it is as we wrestled with those ideas and what the core values were as a church, I believe that we came together as an elder body, but we also began to see God do some incredible things in our church as God identified what those core values are. And what is it about us that makes us just set apart? What is it about us as a church that really is why you would even want to come here is because of these core values that we possess or that we value. 
These are the things that we want to share with you over the next six weeks because we feel like they're important. And it all started with one conversation for us, and it's not an easy one. But for us, the, the question was, beyond our mission statement, what do we do? So before we get into the values, I want to share with you, because some of you are brand new, I want to make sure you know what our mission statement is at our church. And it's a very simple one to me, but for you it may be a little foreign, so let's get to know it together. And that mission is that we will do whatever it takes to grow disciples of Jesus Christ who will gather, grow, and go. That we will do whatever it takes, this side of sin, to help develop and grow disciples of Jesus Christ that will gather, grow, and go. We will not only get together, we will grow together, but we will go serve together. That's the basic premise for us. And you're like, well, that sounds like it's all the values you need. There's so much more to our church. I want to pause real quick and, and just really say we have not arrived as in we have not perfected all six of these values. These are the ones that we are striving for, the, fun, the ones that we feel like we're, we're doing the best at right now, but also the ones that we want to make sure as we grow as a church, we also grow in the value that we display in front of you because these are what, is, these are, what are most important to us. And so as we go through these, don't think that, man, he's saying the church is perfect at this value. No, we're still growing in it. We, we fail all the time. We're human beings. But these are the things that are important to us, and we want it to be important to you, and we want it to be important to the people that are not here yet. Because we believe not only are they valuable to us, but it's also a value that people on the outside of this building, that's what they're looking for. And we want to be that church that they're looking for because they need Jesus Christ. I also want to point caution and kind of going back to what Aaron was singing about and leading us in just a moment. These are not just things that we glorify ourselves. These are values that we should be glorifying Jesus Christ. Because if Jesus is not leading our church, then there's no value here whatsoever. And I want to make sure that whatever I tell you this morning, I want you to understand that I'm growing in this value. I'm trying to model this value. I'm trying to get better at this value. And I'm trying to follow Jesus in this value. Because if I can do that as a leader, then I will help our congregation. And if I help our congregation, then I'll help our church. And if I help our church, then I'm going to help our ministries. And if I help our ministries, then we're really getting some great things around the gospel in the community. But it's not about me. It's about what Jesus has started here within our leadership. So these values over the next six weeks, these are the things that we're going to look at in no particular order. We didn't identify that this is the best and then this is just, we just said these are the six things that we value. The first one is what we're going to talk about today, and that's treating everybody as insiders. Making sure that everybody that walks in this door feels valued. We'll get into that just a little bit. The second is being biblical-centered. Making sure that everything that we do, everything that you see in us, starts with the Bible. That you can see the gospel flowing through us as we do things, as we build relationships, as we lead our ministries. That everything is centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. The third one is life-changing relationships. But it's not just life-changing relationships with other people because for us, the first life-changing relationship that is important to us is the one that you and I have with Jesus Christ. And then the life-changing relationships that we have with each other. Because we think that that's one of the things that sets us apart from a lot of places. And we want to value that. Strategic multiplication. We've seen that with our ministries. We've seen that with our church as, as a few years ago when we strategically launched our Mount Julia campus. And five years ago, almost six years ago now, there was about 100 people that attended there on an average Sunday. Now it's over 200. Incredible to see what God has done as we've been strategic and multiplying our ministries and our, and our methodology into different communities. And watching what God has done here. 
moving our life groups and adding life groups, moving some life groups off-site, having some on, watching our age group ministries continue to grow and to blossom, and families come. It's incredible to watch that strategic multiplication provide and show fruit of the labor. It's just been a lot of fun. Plurality and leadership. It's one of the things that Justin and I got to talk about when Justin first came on a couple months ago. And it wasn't just to, to like hit Justin down a few pegs. I just said, Justin, the best thing about this church is we're a bunch of specialists. We all have something great that we do for the kingdom of God, and we try to do it to the best of our ability together. So that's why when you say, well, who's the leader? Well, there are several leaders, and we work together in team because we want to do whatever we can to multiply in our leadership so that we can not just be a single leadership structure, but a plurality of leadership where everybody's using their giftings and everybody's using those that have the leadership skills for the kingdom of God. And the last one we'll talk about is serving together. Because one of the easiest and best ways that we can grow together is to serve together. Taking what we see in the gospel, learning it, absorbing it, beginning to grow in it, but then also to show it and display it for other people. And I believe over these next six weeks, as you understand what the core values of our church are, I pray that they become kind of a, well, duh, kind of conversation. So when I say to somebody, well, do you see the core value of, of treating everybody on the, like, as their insiders, making everyone feel valued, you'd be like, well, duh, yes. As you see things of strategic multiplication, do you see us being strategic in our ministries? They'd be like, yeah, we sure do. That's, why are you even bringing this up? This is who we are. And it becomes our DNA as a church. So we want to do this. We want to share this with you. But we're not going to share it with what we know. We want to share it with you out of the scope of what the New Testament and the gospel says. Because if we can keep it focused on the Bible and we can keep this focused on Jesus, I promise you, not only will it be attractive to you, but it will be attractive to anybody on the outside looking in for Jesus Christ. So with that, let's pray one more time and we'll dive into week one as treating everyone as insiders. Father, let nothing we do or say today be about the glory of any one particular person. Let it not be the glory for our church. God, let us point and only point to you, your son, Jesus Christ, through the gospel, through the Bible. Because, God, we can only treat everyone as an insider. We can only accept everybody. We can only value one another if we have been valued in a relationship with you first. So, God, let us only point to you this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. How many of you have ever, uh, you've seen the, 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 the image or you've ever felt like it where somebody's on the outside of a window looking into a house or looking into a store and everybody seems to be having a good time on the other side? You've seen those? You know what it feels like? Some of you, you know, we, we kind of treat that at social media because you look at the social media posts and you see everybody's pictures and you look at all the statuses and you're like, man, they're having more fun than I am. Man, they look like they have it all together and I have nothing. You know, sadly, sometimes we look at churches and we say the same thing. One of the worst things that I've ever done as a leader is look at another church and be like, man, they are perfect. Oh, man, our church is messed up, but theirs is perfect. Because you know what, truth be told, they're as messed up as we are. The only thing that separates us is just probably a location. What connects us is, the, is our bond with Jesus Christ. But when we look at things on the outside, sometimes we don't take whatever steps we need to be on the inside of that. We just kind of assume that the outside is where we need to stay. But as a church, I don't want anybody to stand on the outside looking in going, I wonder if there's anything for me on the inside. I want you to come in. And I want you to be able to be in this room, to be in our ministries, to be in a life group, 
to be in a conversation with somebody in the hallways and everything that you say, everything that you do, everything you experience tells you, makes you feel, and you can see that you are wanted, you are welcome, and you are accepted. Because when we look at somebody that's on the inside, it's not about a category of persons. These are not the insiders and these are the outsiders. This is the family of Jesus Christ. And we want everybody to be a family member of Jesus Christ. We want you to be a brother, sister in the the Lord's house. Cambridge English Dictionary defines insider as this. And yes, I did a little research because, you know, American dictionaries are great, but the English dictionaries always have just a little bit better, a little bit better uh, definition here. So Cambridge, because I wanted to sound smart, found this definition and it said someone who is, a, who is an accepted member of a group who therefore has special or secret knowledge or influence. This is an insider, somebody that's accepted, somebody that has special knowledge, Somebody that has special influence. That's an insider. So as I began to kind of look and navigate and think about this, this is the framework of what I see in the gospel. Because as I think about it and I start looking at stories where Jesus Christ is operating, one thing I notice about Jesus is he is always accepting of every single person, even though he, even those he's in disagreement with. Do you ever notice he never tells the Pharisees to go away? He always kind of brings them in a little closer because he needs to chew them out. But he needs them to understand the grace and the gospel. And so he can't do that from far away, so he invites them into the teaching. I wonder how many Pharisees that Jesus actually turned for the gospel of Jesus Christ because of being reprimanded or being able to see what Jesus had done. I look at stories where Jesus has been kind of on the the path going somewhere and he pauses to stop and talk to somebody that's on the side of the road. I look at stories in the, in the Bible where Jesus is in the middle, and Justin was, and Daniel were preaching just a few weeks ago, where Jesus is in the middle of preaching, and all of a sudden the, the, the heavens kind of opened up, and here comes a person. And Jesus stopped what he's doing to accept and take care of the one that was coming down. I look at stories of what Jesus is doing, and I'm saying, man, the one thing I've got to learn about from Jesus is that he accepted everybody, that he really made everyone feel some kind of value. The second thing I look at the scriptures, I see that there's special knowledge. And it's not special. And, and Cambridge says secret. I say it's special. It's not like Jesus is somehow a, a foreign. Like you have to figure out the, it's like the Rubik's Cube that my friend Toy was trying to figure out a few weeks ago. You know, he's sitting there. He's like, man, I got that. And then a little kid walked up and just like, boom, it's done. Okay. It's not like that. Special knowledge is simply Jesus Christ. And the more that I get to know Jesus, the more special he is. The more I understand what his love is and his grace and his forgiveness, the more I feel special because of information that I gain from Jesus Christ. The more that I can understand what Jesus is, the more special I realize a life and a relationship can be with him because he is God. So this special knowledge, I want to make sure that it's not secret to the rest of the world, but it's special and it's shared. Because as I see with Jesus as he's preaching, I don't see him like tickets only. I'm going, to, I'm going to Bridgestone Arena. It's 50 bucks a, a ticket, and whoever can get in, great. I see Jesus preaching to whoever would stop and listen. I see him preaching on mountainsides where there was nobody with food, and yet somehow over 10,000 people get fed and get the gospel. I see it where he's trying to live his life, and he displays it on, on a cross. And while hundreds of people looked on, millions upon millions upon millions, if not billions of people have now been changed because he, he displayed his teaching. 
I see him taking that special knowledge and giving it away. And that's what we want to do as a church. It's not only as we accept you, but we give you away all the special knowledge that we have. And really, to be honest with you, it's one person. It's Jesus Christ. Because everything in the Bible points to him. And so we want to give that away. And then the next thing is, I see him leveraging his relationships and gaining influence and using that influence for the cause of Jesus Christ, for the kingdom of God. I see him in such a way that, you know, it's not only about what you know and it's not only about who you know, but it's making sure that others find that same opportunity, that same relationship, that same instruction, sometimes that same discipline. I see people like Paul as he's teaching and he's using the knowledge and the fact that he was accepted by the Lord. He's using his special knowledge and he's influencing generations upon generations because of what God has done in his life, what Jesus has meant to him. And so as we look at this, as we're treating people like insiders, I want people to be treated as I am inside the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to be treated like I am a part of God's kingdom, but I also want to treat you like I'm a part of God's kingdom and you're a part of God's kingdom. Because the last time I checked, God is not taking a pecking order at the gates of heaven. He is saying, anybody that wants to come, come on. But you're only coming through Jesus Christ. And that's where we want to go today. There's a great story in, in, the, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 18. Turn there. Because as, as we're talking about this, as feeling like insiders, there's something that some of you really need. You need this particular portion of the message. And that is, one of the things I love about Jesus when we're talking about Jesus treating people, well, Jesus made everyone feel valued. Everyone. Every person that Jesus came in contact with, he made them feel valued. Don't raise your hands, but answer the question in your mind. How many of you really just need to feel valued? You just really need it. You know that people can accept you. You know that people let you sit next to them. But you wonder if anybody ever really truly values you. You know that you're in a relationship with your, your husband or your wife. And you know that you have a great relationship with some of your friends. But there are those days that you wonder, is there any value in this relationship? Do you care about me? Do you want me? And I'm here to tell you because of the gospel of Jesus Christ... Jesus not only wants you, he wants to make time for you because you are valuable to him. One of the greatest stories I think is example is in Luke chapter 18, starting verse 15. And it's one that really, to me, it, it kind of warms the heart a little bit. People were bringing, it starts in verse 15, it says, People were bringing infants to him so that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, he, they rebuked him. Jesus, however, invited them. He said, let the little children come to me and don't stop them because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like that of a little child will never enter it. That's a great moment in Jesus' ministry because you know Jesus at this particular moment, just give you a little backstory. He's been serving. He's been doing things. He's been teaching. He's been ministering. He's tired. About when we get tired is when we check out. We stop trying to minister, yet Jesus is saying, oh, I got more. There's always more in the tank. So Jesus sits down, and, and all of a sudden these families with children, they see this, and they're like, man, Jesus could come over here, and he could, man, he could pray over my child. He could bless my child. I want to get my child to Jesus, because I promise you, if Jesus was sitting right here, how many of you would have gone and got the kids and be like, oh, we're going to come over? Maybe some of you are like, forget the kids. I'm coming over. 
And the disciples are trying to do a good thing and be like, you know, the master's tired, the teacher's tired, can y'all just back away? And Jesus is like, be quiet, move away, and let them come. And for some of you, you need to realize that Jesus right now is telling you this morning, don't let any barrier stop you. Don't let anything that somebody said, out, somebody said about you, don't let it stop you. Don't let anything or anyone tell you you can't come to Jesus because Jesus is for everyone. Either the kingdom of God is for everyone or the kingdom of God is for no one. Either Jesus Christ died for everyone or Jesus Christ died for no one. There is no middle ground. And so Jesus said, if you will come to me like the innocence of a child, you are welcome to come. Because Jesus also says in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You come. And I love what it means because it also means that there's no barriers that we have to figure out. There's no status that we have to achieve before we come to know Jesus. Because if you don't know about the Bible, let me just give you a little backstory. Children were not even counted. It's not that they weren't important to their families, but they weren't counted in the numbers. So in many ways, before we kind of got the equality movement going, children were just a second thought. And so now you say, not only is Jesus opening the door, but people that are afterthoughts are now available to come to Jesus Christ. Some of you feel like an afterthought. I'm telling you, you're important to Jesus. You just simply need to come. And as a church family, we want you to come. Because if you're important to Jesus, then you should be important to us. If your problems are important to Jesus, your problems need to be important to us. If your prayer request is so big that you need to to give it to Jesus, then we want to come alongside you as a brother and a sister in the faith, and we want to pray with you because if Jesus is for you, then Jesus is for all of us. We want to make sure that whatever you experience, that we're in this together. How I love that Jesus would make sure that you were counted. But this is not the only time that Jesus would make outsiders feel important. In Mark chapter 5, verses 25 through 34, Jesus stops in the middle of, a, of, of basically going to someone else's home to minister to that family. He gets touched on his garment, and a woman that had been bleeding for 12 years stops. And Jesus feels the power leave his body. I wonder what that moment felt like. We'll talk about it when we get to heaven. But that moment where he feels the power of the Lord move away from his body, and he stops in the middle of a large crowd and says, Who touched me? For some of you, Jesus is not too busy to stop for you. You are too busy sometimes to stop for Jesus, but he is never too busy to stop for you. Because I promise you, when you encounter the Lord, he wants to know about it. Because he wants to celebrate with you. And it says in the Bible, when somebody gives their life to Christ, it's not just us celebrating. It is a chorus of angels having a party. Because one more is into the kingdom. So I promise you, when we found out that there were five people that crossed the line last Sunday for Jesus Christ and gave their life to Jesus, it wasn't just a church staff giving a party of celebration. Can you imagine heaven and how much it was celebrating and how many hundreds of thousands of people gave their life to Jesus last week in churches all around the country and all around the globe? Mm, that'd be good. And I want to tell you something. If you are, if you are just right, and you are thinking just right, and you will pause long enough for Jesus to embrace you, then I promise you, not only will we celebrate you, but heaven will celebrate you because you are giving your life to Jesus Christ. But it's not just that where Jesus stopped to take care of that. There's also the story in John chapter 8, verses 3 through 11, where the woman is caught in adultery. Now, some of you have not been caught in adultery, but you've been caught into your sins. 
And there is a, a gathering of people that have thrown you down on the ground. And they have left you on that ground condemned to die. Because this woman was thrown on the ground condemned to stoning. Death by stoning. That sounds terrible. And that's the way we feel in our sin. But I promise you, instead of condemning her, Jesus lifted her up as forgiven and loved, accepted and valued and said the words, go and sin no more. He didn't, he didn't chastise her. He didn't say, well, you know what, honey, you just made some bad choices along the way. If you would have changed when you were a child and then as a teenager and now as a young adult, then maybe he didn't do all that. He looked at her and he said, I love you. Go and sin no more. And for some of you, that's what you needed today because you are in the middle of a crazy, stupid, terrible sin. And Jesus wants to lift up your eyes to him and say, go and sin no more. I love you. I forgive you. Give me your heart. Give me your life. How incredible it is that we could be released and so free in such a short time. And yet that's exactly what Jesus did for this woman. She was supposed to die. And she was lifted into new life. Some of you, you need the new life that only Jesus can offer. But then still that's not enough. Mark 10, there's a blind man named Bartimaeus. On the road, Jesus is is walking around and he's leading his, his path and all of a sudden all these people are yelling for Jesus. Blind Bartimaeus is on his mat. He can't see Jesus. He doesn't know if he's coming from the left or he's coming to the right or if he's coming straight at him. He doesn't know. But all he knows is the son of David is coming around and he yells at him and everybody looked at him and like, hey, you need to be quiet. Jesus is coming. And he just continues to yell and he continues to yell and Jesus stops and says, what do you need me to do? Lord, I want my sight. He said, then rise, your faith has made you healed. Some of you have been shunned and you've been shushed by people in the church to be like, you know what, you should probably not talk because Jesus doesn't have time for you. I'm telling you, Jesus has all the time for you. He has eternity for you. And you call out to Jesus, he will respond because he values you. And as a church family, let me speak to those that are ministry partners, those that are on the inside of our church right now. We want you with us. But let me talk to those that are already right here and you've been with us for a while. Don't ever shush anybody when it comes to Jesus Christ. Don't ever think that you've arrived or think that you have a seat or think that you have a table because the Lord's table is for everyone. Our job is not to secure our place. Our job is to secure other people's places in eternity. Our job is to go out there and to make everybody feel welcome. So if you have all your friends inside the church, then you're not doing what Jesus Christ has called you to do. You need to go back out and gather a few more and bring them back in. That's the beautiful thing about what's happening at our church right now. So many of our friends, and I'm going to, can I be honest with you and brag on our student ministry? This group right here is leading the way when it's about going back out, getting new friends and bringing them back in for Jesus Christ. This group. They don't need to be leading the way on that. We do. We have cars. We have time. Sure, we have families, problems, and bills. Granted, we got that. But if a middle school student has the courage to invite their middle school friends, an adult should have the courage to invite their adult friend to come to know Jesus Christ. If we really value this as a church, then our students shouldn't be leading us. We should be leading our students. By the way, don't stop. We love what you're doing. Don't ever stop. Don't ever grow up about that either. I love it that Jesus also didn't need special permit or didn't have to have special permission. 
It's the humility and the innocence of a child. Man, just come to Jesus. Because you will feel more value in that relationship with Christ than any person on this earth can ever make you feel. Come to know Jesus Christ. I love that Jesus broke the rules. Jesus broke the rules to show love. I see this in the Gospels a couple times. It says in Luke 13, on one Sabbath day, Luke 13, verse 10, it says, On one Sabbath day, as Jesus was teaching in a synagogue, he saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. She had been bent doubled for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. Then he touched her, and instantly she could stand straight. Oh, how she praised God. And if that wasn't the story, this is the story here. But the leader in charge of the synagogue was indignant that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. Mm, That guy's getting a beating later. He said, there are six days of the week for working. Come on those days to be healed, not the Sabbath. But the Lord replied, you hypocrite. Each of you works on the Sabbath day. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey from its stall and lead it out to water on the Sabbath? This dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Isn't it right that she be released even on the Sabbath? Let me tell you something. Jesus is going to bend and break some rules if it will mean getting to you. And I joke about it all the time, but I'm also very serious about it. We will do everything short of sin to come get you. If it means you will come to know Jesus Christ. We want, as a church, we want to do whatever it takes. You know what whatever it takes means? Anything short of sin. That means we might do some crazy things. And and Justin said this a few weeks ago. It may get a little weird in here. But if you remember what he said, weird in the Greek means holy. So it may get a little weird in here, but we're going to try to get everybody to be holy and through Jesus Christ. And whatever it takes, this, short, this side short of sin, then we need to do it because the gospel is important and we need to get people to Jesus Christ. And if it happens to be on a Sunday, fantastic. If it happens to be on a Monday through Saturday, fantastic. If it happens to be at 3 in the morning when I'm super tired, fantastic. But we need to be able and available to do whatever it takes whenever Jesus calls us to do whatever he calls us to do. We need to break and bend the rules just like Jesus did to make sure everyone has an opportunity to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only that, you remember a few weeks ago, Justin was talking about the, the woman, the Samaritan woman, where Jesus stops and, and asks for a drink. John 4, 4 through 9. The beautiful thing about that, there are really two rules that Jesus broke. Stop for a second and, and just realize, Jewish men don't talk to women at all in public. Yet Jesus stops and has a very lengthy conversation with this woman in a very public place. Cultural rule broken, number one. Second culture rule, she's a Samaritan. And Jews and Samaritans are not supposed to have conversations. It's the Hatfields and McCoys of the New Testament. And yet Jesus stops and talks to a woman that happens to be a Samaritan and leads her to Jesus Christ himself, leads her into the kingdom of God. He broke two rules so somebody could have eternal freedom. I think it's time we bend and break some rules. I don't care if we've never done it that way before. There's probably a reason why we should try it. It doesn't matter if you think that we're Baptist because I promise you I'm more interested in being Christian before Baptist. So if I break the Baptist rules, it's okay. Okay? And that's why I'll never be the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. (laughs) 
But if Jesus was willing to break the rules, then I need to be doing whatever it takes to reach people for the gospel of Jesus Christ, to bring them in, to grow them as disciples, to help them develop as disciples, to gather, grow, and go other people do the same thing. Because if I make them feel a part of what God is doing on the inside, then they will go on the outside and do the same thing. We value treating everybody as insiders. And why? Because the last one is probably the most important. And that is this. Because at the cross, Jesus died for the redemption of all people. All people. No skin color qualifications, no bank account qualifications, no smell qualifications. Middle school boys rejoice. There is no past qualifications. There is no gifting qualifications. There is nothing that qualifies you because Jesus died for all. Now, if you don't feel valued after I tell you that Jesus died for you and died for all people, I really want to pray with you because you are so broken and you are so held down by sin and by a past or by something that is keeping you from the benefit of the fact that Jesus died to redeem you and to set you free. And as a church family, we want you to feel like you're a part of God's family, but I need you to know that Jesus died for you before any of that's possible. Because some of you right now, I mean, you think about it, those of you that have had broken families, when we talk about God the Father, you're not into it because your father was terrible, but I'm promising you, God the Father is nothing like your earthly dad. And Jesus is nothing like you've ever experienced before. You need to understand that he died for you. Your best friend in the world has not even done that. But Jesus died for you, redeemed you so that you could be in his family so that you could be accepted, so you could have special knowledge, you could have special influence, you could have eternity free of guilt, free of sin, free of stain, free of anything else, and be a part of God's family. That is the greatest insider you could ever be. And we want you to experience that through our church. Not because we have some secret door to heaven, but because we know Jesus Christ. And we want to display him in front of you every chance we get. Because Jesus died for the redemption of all people. Sorry, I got off on that for just a second. So then the question kind of comes back to us. How do we do that? How do I treat people as an insider? How does our church collectively treat people as insiders? First and foremost, we have to accept Jesus Christ. We have to give our lives to Jesus first. I can't make you feel anything that I haven't felt myself. I can't tell you about the gospel of Jesus Christ if I've not felt it myself. But let me tell you something. As a pastor and as a friend, as a brother in Christ, not only have I felt the gospel, but I've seen its power. I've seen people that were the lowest of lows, and yet somehow Jesus found a way to get them and pull them into his family. I've seen people that were on their deathbed, literally, And yet Jesus granted them a few more days, a few more weeks, a few more months. I've seen people that have done some sins that you would not even want to talk about because you would move over three chairs, and yet they are in the midst of doing one of the greatest ministries possible because Jesus has redeemed them. I've seen people that thought that they were worthless and terrible and nobody loved them, everybody shunned them, and then they met somebody from a church that gave them an invitation to come to know Jesus Christ, and their entire world has changed. I've seen the power at its best, the power of the gospel at its best, and I promise you, if we could do that, we're not talking about revival. 
We're talking about global revival. If we would just utilize it, accept it, and then share it with anybody that wants it. Not for money, for God's glory. Worth way more than any paper money you got in your pocket, that's for sure. The second thing is, and I hope that you felt this. Actually, the next two I hope you felt. I hope that you feel like when you walk in those doors right over there or those doors over there that you felt accepted the moment you walked in. Because the best thing that we can do is to accept all people. Bring them into the conversation. Bring them into the circles. Bring them into the life group. Do whatever it takes to make them feel accepted and wanted. Some of you that have come in, you've been here for a while. You remember that first day that you came in. You were scared, you were nervous, and you weren't sure that you wanted to talk to anybody. But there was probably somebody that was persistent to say good morning. Welcome. We're glad you're here. And they made you feel accepted, and you, so you stuck around. I've seen a few of you, and I, and I point you out, but I don't want to embarrass you. But I know some of you, you weren't coming back, and then somebody got a hold of you, invited you to come next week and come to a Bible study or come to a ministry event. You came and you stuck it out. And now you're here because you were accepted. Now, if you're a guest, I want to be very clear. We're not perfect at that. Not by a long shot. But we value you and we want to accept you for who you are because Jesus tells us, come as you are. So if you're broken and torn and battered and beaten, whatever the case may be, we want to be here and we want to accept you because Jesus Christ has accepted us first. And the third thing is we want to value you. We don't want to just accept you. We want to value you so that you're important into the conversation. Because the gospel has taught us that there are things about you that you do better than we do. And we would be more of a complete church. We would be more of a complete family if you brought what you're good at into our fellowship and we were able to go reach the world together. If you would come in and you would realize for the first time that you actually have value by another human being, then maybe going back to work tomorrow wouldn't be such a bad thing because you actually have a friend at church. Maybe your home life is a wreck, but at church you found a valuable member, somebody that treated you like a, a sister or a brother or a friend. And going home is not going to be so bad anymore because at least you know one person that makes you feel like you're valued. We don't want to just accept you. We want to value you. Because we feel like if you become accepted, if you feel valued, you're going to stick it out. And we're going to do some great things for the kingdom together. The final thing I would share with you is we want you to let people know about the Jesus you know. I want you to tell everything about Jesus that you know with somebody. That was one of the things that we learned in our Choices series for those of you that were here for it. You don't have to know everything. You just got to be willing to share what you do. Amen. So maybe you don't know all the scriptures. Maybe you don't know all the, the theology. Maybe you don't even know all the disciples' names. Maybe you don't even know who goes in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. You just know they're in the Bible somewhere. Then you share that. Because we're not looking for Perfection. We're looking for people that are willing to share what Jesus they know with somebody that doesn't. Because it's our conviction if we begin to share Jesus like we've never done before, then more people will come. And we're not talking about 900 people coming on Easter. We're not talking about five people giving their life to Christ. We're talking about however number God wants it to be. And we're talking about tens and hundreds of people coming to know Jesus Christ. And not on just an Easter Sunday, every single week. Now, while Easter is cool and we have some fun with Easter Sunday, you know we come to church every Sunday. We want to invite people to church every week. We want to be available for your family every day, not just once a year, 365. 
This morning, I think the challenge for you is very clear. If you feel like you're away from God's family, you are an outsider of God looking in, then you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. And we invite you to do that. We're going to have some prayer partners that will be over here on this side. On this side, we'll have a couple in the mezzanine. I'll be down front. Justin will be over there in the, toward the back. We'll have people around you. My friend Eric is right here. we got lots of people around this room. If you'd say, you know what, I need to accept Jesus Christ, then you come find one of us and let us pray with you and talk with you, even counsel with you on that decision. But you come and get to know Jesus Christ. Maybe you just say, I'm away from, I've been with Jesus and I'm apart from him, but I need to rededicate myself. Then I invite you to come pray about that too. Maybe one of the best ways you could do that is just to enjoy communion here on the sides or up in the mezzanine, just to commune and get right back with the Lord, identifying yourself with the Lord. And that's a great thing to do with communion on the side. You could do that. I bet you you have a friend that'd come with you. You could do that as well. Maybe you just want to come over here and you say, God, I know that I've treated some people like they're outsiders. I've shunned them. And you just want to fall before the Lord and ask for forgiveness. And you do that. Because I promise you some of our prayer partners will come alongside you not to judge you or go, what are you praying about? But they will put their hand behind you and just pray with you and say, whatever you got to do business with, we want to do it with you so that you're not alone. And whatever else God may be doing in your heart, we want to invite you to do that. Because we feel if we're together on this and everybody's a part of God's family, Man, this church is going to blow up in the best possible way for the Holy Spirit and for God's glory. And we're going to do some incredible things for his kingdom.